Hello and welcome to another quarter-devouring episode of Saved by the 90s. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today is a guy who retains multiple world records in Street Fighter, the movie The Game for Sega Saturn, Mr. Ken Bakley. Hey, Ken. Hello. Uh, yeah. Sure do. <laughs> you know me. You're, you're, you're the, the best player at Street Fighter, the movie The Game. If there's one thing that I'm famous for. Yeah. You're on all the leaderboards. Oh, definitely. This month on the show, we're going to be talking about video game adaptations with reviews of four video game-based films released throughout the decade. And we're going to be starting with uh, maybe maybe the biggest one here. I think we're probably going to start off with the biggest one. That's, of course, Super Mario Brothers from 1993. This is the one that kicked off. And now and there, there were obviously... Uh, video game adaptations before this. I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but I'm sure that they did exist. Hmm. Wizard, the wizard from 1989. I know that's not really an adaptation, but it's very much about video games. Anyway, I have a synopsis here. Two Brooklyn plumbers, Mario and Luigi must travel to another dimension to rescue a princess from the evil dictator King Koopa and stop him from taking over the world. This is directed by Annabelle Jenkel and Rocky Morton. Uh, this this is a movie. I, I love the tagline here. This ain't no game. I mean, literally, it's true. It's a movie. Yeah. It's a live action movie where they made a lot of decisions. They made a whole bunch of decisions with this movie. We're never not making decisions in this movie. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would say that probably most of you have seen this movie. Most of you have probably seen all of the movies that we're going to be talking about this month. I will say that it, it's, it was fun to, to revisit these. So, so maybe a lot of you saw these as, as kids uh, and, and maybe haven't revisited them as an adult, but this one in particular, and I, I, I caught this movie, I don't know, not too long ago, like a couple years ago. And I think that this movie Obviously, it lost a lot of money. It was maligned by critics and audience members. Everybody hated this movie. This movie was an absolute train wreck when it came out. But I think that the I think that watching it now in 2023, there's like I think this movie is due for a little bit of a renaissance. And I think that that's starting to happen. I think that people are starting to come around on Super Mario Brothers, the movie. I th- I hope so because I actually was, thought this movie was quite interesting and and maybe if not always successful in putting all of its ideas together I it is really quite a fascinating movie and I think I like uh I think I liked it quite a bit I like this movie too and the thing about this movie and this is something that I've always said this movie would have done so much better if it just if they took the Super Mario Brothers IP out of it. If it was just like this kind of crazy 90s sci-fi movie, mm-hmm. it would have I think that it would have worked a lot better. This would have yeah, I think if you just look at this I think a lot of this movie was was definitely to look back at its reception tied up in a lot of people being angry that it they felt it uh diverged too much from the source material. The first thing I would say to that is if you think about it, all the fundamentals of, of a super Mar- of the Super Mario Brothers as as a property are here. They are. 
yeah. And, and, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stuff yeah. is in here in maybe, maybe not the same way as in the games, but it's certainly it's represented. I think I, that, yeah. I think that the bigger problem here is that the, the, the tone of this movie, the aesthetic of this movie is not, uh, not really anywhere close to, to the games in, any shape or form. I mean, this is like, this takes place in this like dystopian underground cyberpunk world. Uh, yeah. That, that, that like just doesn't really match the kind of bright, colorful fun of the Mario series. Yeah. The, the, the second point I would make is uh, related to my first point is that if this had been maybe, as you said, just, uh, just a, a movie that, had no direct connection to this franchise. I think it would have probably still not been all that well received at the time, but we probably would not have had to have waited nearly as long for there to be this, you know, cult following and reappraisal of it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I think at its core, it's not a very good movie. I mean, it's very messy. It's all over the place. There's, there's too, too much happening in this movie. And I think that, I think that these directors, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was a husband and wife team of, uh, I think that they were just, maybe they just bit off a bit more than they could chew with this movie. Uh, This was an ambitious movie, to say the least, and I feel like they were just not really the right people for it. And I think that also maybe there were, this was a case of too many cooks um, getting involved with such a high profile production. Um, but I mean, when you look at, so this, according to IMDb had a $48 million budget. Uh, and I mean, it, that it definitely shows, I mean, again, this was 1993. So $48 million, that's a pretty big budget. Um, but man, the production design on this movie, just the, insanely elaborate sets and the amount of extras and like the super like detailed underground cityscapes that they created with like all the different platforms and layers and stuff. It's very, there's a lot of verticality in this movie. I thought it was all incredible. Like it just, this movie looks awesome and this is, I, I love it. Uh, yeah, I think this is something we'll come back to a bit, which is, you know, in this era of lots of these uh, big studio movies that are especially ones that are connected to big media properties, they kind of have a a sameness to to how they or to how they look and feel now. This these are all movies that really kind of just have their own uh, entire visual language that it, and just such a. Uh, deeply realized aesthetic to it that it's it really is just fascinating just to look at in a very literal sense yeah i i really like the the world that that this movie takes place in i think it's really fun and again i'm just i feel like in i feel like at some point this was a different movie and they decided to you know pull in the Mario IP into an already existing script. I know that's not what happened, but it feels like that's what happened. Um, 
you have a really good cast here too. I mean, you have Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo as Mario and Luigi. Like that's that's I think really good casting, really fun casting. Dennis Hopper is King Koopa. Again, like weird, weird but very fun casting. Samantha Mathis is Daisy. Um so they they they're going with Princess Daisy, not with Princess Peach, I guess because they wanted to have uh her be the love interest with John Leguizamo's character. Mm. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, like a lot of really great kind of um, side characters like Fisher Stevens is in here and Richard Ed- Edson. So a lot good casting, uh, really solid visuals, uh, good score too. I think it was, uh, was it Silvestri, Alan Silvestri score? Um, yep. So you you have a yeah you have a really good score here. There's some fun set pieces. There's certain things that certainly bring it down, but I think that if you can separate the game series from this movie, uh, I think that it's it's a lot more fun when you look at it as a Mario adaptation. It is, uh, it's rough how they like what they do with like toad and Yoshi and how they had the super scopes in here, like as sort of a shameless plug for the super scope. And there, there's some, the, and the Goombas, like so many weird decisions in this turning the King into a fungus, like a living, uh, our conscious fungus, I guess. Mm. Just strange. A lot of interesting ideas, as we said earlier. So many, so many choices. A lot of, I think a lot of these movies that that we're going to be discussing this month have a lot of similarities with them. Uh, All four of them contain at least one scene that involves like a super crowded, dark industrial uh, area that has like multi tier is like a multi-tiered multi-level like chain link fences and like kind of techno music playing all four of them have at least one scene involving that Mm -hmm. and i think we enjoy that oh any any movie (laughs) instant bonus points any movie that has we've talked about that those scenes on the show before like like in hackers uh any any movie that has uh a scene like that i'm 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 all in three of the four movies that we're going to be discussing this month feature a person being strapped into a chair and mutated in some fashion (laughs) so that was uh that was a a a known trend in the 90s too is people being mutated i don't know maybe there's some 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 i don't know subtext in there about technology or something i don't know either that or the environment maybe like i, I know that um, like yeah kind of like in the 80s like the whole like toxic waste type mm. thing was a was big maybe it's kind of a carryover from that maybe they were drawing inspiration from like teenage mutant ninja turtles still being very popular you're right it does feature in a lot of those the I didn't quite realize just how much of a through line that was, but yeah, there, there, these movies, besides the obvious uh, 
nature of what they are, they do have more in common than would immediately seem obvious. Yeah, uh, definitely. And and the thing is, like, uh, I'm wondering, and it would seem to me like the Super Mario Brothers movie almost may, maybe it it influenced some of these other ones that would that would come later. Um, hard to say, especially since a lot of them came very close after Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting that they all kind of have a similar style to them. It's interesting to look at the, the, the just the list of these movies, how all the movies we're going to be talking this month were released within about a two and a half year span. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there aren't really many more video game movies for several years after that. Yeah, because they all did. Well, I think I th- I think the last one we're going to talk about did did pretty good at the box office. And it should have been. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been a hit. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um yeah, so man, I don't know, revisiting Super Mario Brothers this time around and I remember as a kid I didn't like it. Like I remember mm. not liking this movie as a kid, but I guess just revisiting it now, I had fun. I had a I had a really fun time with this movie. I think that there are aspects of it that are really well done. I mean, it feels like a big budget, you know, kind of popcorn movie, but at the same time, you you don't get movies that are like that have this kind of level of uh like it griminess to them anymore. Like so many movies back then were just gross and grimy and dark and i'm not saying that movies should should all be like that or anything but we we just don't really a few once in a while i think make things more interesting (laughs) yeah a few once in a while i mean i wouldn't want to go overboard with it like the the aesthetic of super mario brothers there are so many movies that came out in this era that that looked like that i mean all four movies that we're going to be talking about this month looked like it pretty much. I think the one of them, not really, but the other ones definitely. And then like, you know, you have movies like dark city and the crow and all of these movies that are like, that take place in these kind of dirty, uh, trash filled cities and stuff. Mm. And I, I don't know like where that, where that inspiration came from. Like, I don't know if it was like RoboCop maybe. I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Maybe even Blade Runner. Maybe some Blade Runner inspiration there. Hmm. I'm not sure, but either way, uh, I like, I now can say that I do like the Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, It, it basically ruined the career of the directors, which is unfortunate. Hmm. I think they pretty much got out of the game after, Hmm. after this. But it's, it's not, this is not a n- nice industry to people who want to try something different, is it? No, no, no. I will say that if you know if you're looking for a a, a Mario movie that sticks sticks close to the source material, then the the new one, the animated one, is is definitely the one you should pick because that one is basically just like lifting elements directly from the games Hmm. for better and for worse. I think Hmm. 
Yeah, that seems like more. I, I, well, yeah, I, I suppose you can make some interesting comparisons between maybe to the point I was making earlier. Uh, what a conceptualization of a movie like this would have been in 1993 versus what it would be in 2023. Yeah, um, I think it it is interesting because like video game movies have been there's a, like they say that their video game adaptations are are cursed because almost all of them are horrendous and are complete failures. Like even to this day, when a video game adaptation comes out, it's usually like not, you know, not going to be not very good. It's not going to, it's not going to like, you know, crack, crack the code, so to speak. I mean, maybe, maybe you could say the last of us series on HBO max, like maybe, maybe that's the one that, that really cracked the code, but I think it seems to be that that seems to primarily affect live action adaptations uh, of video games. And maybe there is something there about the nature of turning it into a uh, physically, you know, tangible world. But you begin, you would begin to wonder if maybe if, as you said, the, the current trend is an indication, maybe just because of how video games are able to look now that, that yeah and, and that yeah translation isn't there anymore and, and also the the fact that there's stronger narratives in video games mm-hmm. these days like when you look at yeah. the last of us i mean the game is structured very much like a movie or tv show and when you watch the tv show you realize that it's like beat for beat almost shot for shot what happens in the game and i think that's that's good good and bad i think that using the last of us as, as an example, I think that they did a good job of striking a balance of giving the fans what they want being a, like a one-to-one adaptation of the game. And then also adding additional flavor to it by expanding on some of the like characters and storylines and stuff. So I, I think that they struck really nice balance. Um, but I think that for, like Super Mario Brothers at the time, you know, this 1993, there weren't like that many games out. And by this point, I think Super Mario World was probably the last one. So that's like four mainline Super Mario games that they were working with, you know, as far as content. And and like the Mario games don't have much of a story there. Yes. I mean, you know, there's not a lot going on. Uh, yeah. So I think it it certainly would be more difficult to adapt that or, you know, some of the other movies that we're going to be discussing that, that are like fighting games that, that have that also virtually no have no plot whatsoever. Um, yeah, it does not. It is quite astonishing to me that the, those were the uh, games that they chose to adapt into feature narrative films. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just because those were like the most talked about and popular ones at the time. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think a lot of other games would probably make more sense, but these were the money makers. These were the ones that were like really pushing the numbers. Mm. So I, I guess it makes sense, but it's, I understand that it, it, that it must've been really difficult to adapt, you know, this stuff, but I mean the, the Sonic, the Hedgehog movie was that's, that's live action and, they did their own thing with it. And, you know, those movies, the first and the second one, they're not bad. Like, they're okay. 
I think then you would also get to a point where maybe sensibilities towards how these projects might be received in the broader culture have also changed uh, as well. Just tastes and, and, and trends are now fully caught up to that. And in terms of uh, mm. video games, that's certainly part of the Yeah. I, I, I think that is an important aspect of it too, is that certainly video games are more mainstream and they're more sort of widely known and adopted by people today than back then. I mean, in the, yes. in, in the, in the early nineties, they, it was just kids, you know, it was just kids, mm-hmm. kids in arcades, kids playing Nintendo. Like that's, that's really all it was. But I think that as the years went on, video games matured as the the fans matured and and now you know you can be like me almost 40 and still playing video games every day yeah i i also feel like our discussion we're i don't know setting up that like the next handful of live action adaptations are just going to be terrible or something (laughs) just as soon as we put this discussion out into the world (laughs) just completely disproving everything we've suggested yeah i have look I I would love for the next 10 game adaptations to be really good. But mm. to me, I, I just don't, I have no expectations that any of them are going to be good. There's that Gran Turismo movie that's, that's going to be coming out this year. And to me, that doesn't look very good, <laughs> but I, I mean, I want it to be good. I think that they're doing something interesting with that, with that adaptation specifically. I don't know what yeah, else is being adapted, I but I don't know. I, I didn't have any particular movies in mind. I just thought as soon as we've had this long discussion about the changes in, in how these movies are, what they're first, what they're being adapted from and and then how they can be made and, and, and kind of shaped. I thought I just we'll just enter in another uh, grim era of adaptations or something just to just to. Yeah, uh, very, very, very well, know. very well could. Yeah. Who knows? I, I think we're just at the point where maybe it's, it's just the wrong way to think about it in general. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So that's that's on this podcast. That's the underlying statement to any such predictions I make. I don't know. I think one thing we can say is, well, you know, even then, I was going to say, well, they they, yeah. it, they it's not like they're going to get worse, but you know what? <laughs> at least with a lot of the earlier ones, there's a there's like a certain nostalgia factor to them. Yeah, I don't even know. Can really big movies get like you know as bad in the way we think about them? Usually, they kind of round out to just being lifelessly mediocre, which is certainly terrible in its own way. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I would say that some of the video game, like the Uwe Boll stuff that would come out later, like in the in the two thousands, like that that was that has yeah, to be. But- rock bottom that has to be rock bottom for video game movies so yeah, yeah. well maybe it is I, only up up upwards from there yeah i mean i was just th- thinking that because i'm looking at the 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 list of like the films based on video games looking at the last few major live a- action adaptations and you know they're, they're all they all get kind of middling to mildly enthusiastic reviews just because of, maybe that says something about the wider how we're thinking about these big studio properties and what they end up uh being but who knows yeah i mean it, it might not even be just the fact that they're video game adaptations at this point it might just be just the state of the hollywood blockbuster and how i mean for me 
I'm I'm just so worn out of pretty much everything that's coming out, like all the Marvel movies and stuff like that. Like I've zero interest in any of them because I feel Please like they just fine. It, it, oh, and that's the thing. Like <laughs> yeah, they're they're all they're all the same. It's just it's yeah. it's not like they're going to be offensively bad or anything, but they're just going to be boring. Like I, I saw uh, Ant Man that new Ant-Man and it was so boring to me. Like I just couldn't stand how dreadfully boring it was. And like, I think that sucks because like when the whole like Marvel cinematic universe thing started, I was so excited and like, man, I was just over the moon for the, for these movies. I thought it was so cool, but now it's just like, guys, you gotta, you gotta switch it up. You gotta come up with something new here. I don't know if it's just the the bubble that I'm in, but I feel like we're increasingly getting it to it being a very common position that it's overstayed its welcome. Yeah, I I, I think so. I think so. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, I think so. I'm just thinking you know, the broader you know uh, public. I think is now getting to that position as well. Because well, it used to be you know. I, yeah, no matter- I mean, like the. the- I think I think that the the box office is reflecting yeah. that, right? Yeah, because for a while it was just no matter how boring they were, they'd all make a billion dollars anyway. Yeah, it, but, it, like some of them were good, but it, but they didn't make any more money than usually than the ones that weren't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and recently, I feel like the last few that have been coming out, like I don't know how Guardians Three did, but I know that Ant Man didn't didn't do great. Now, of course. The, the new Mario movie, that thing crushed. That, that thing, yeah, that is like, I mean, I feel good about it because it's a movie in theaters doing well, which feels so rare now. But that, yeah, that one just broke every projection set for it multiple times over, it felt like. Yeah, that that one is like over a billion worldwide, right? That thing, that thing just crushed it. Hmm. Unfortunately, the original 93 one, uh, not so much. We're looking at about $21 million uh, off of a $48 million budget. So it, uh, yeah, not, not great on that one. But you know what? If you haven't seen it, I would say check it out. It's just, it's so bizarre. Like it's. And I think that it does a great job of, I I think it's a great representation of the decade too, as, as are all of the movies that we're going to be discussing this month. Uh, Moving on, we're going to be next talking about Double Dragon. This came out in 1994. Uh, That's directed by uh, James Yukich. I have a synopsis here. Two brothers have half of a powerful ancient Chinese talisman. An evil gang leader has the other half and determines to get the brother's half and have a complete medallion so he can gain absolute power. Nice. There we go. That that's that's the synopsis that I'm looking for right there. Yeah, it felt like we haven't gotten a real classic for a while yeah. on that front, but this one this one's up there. This one's pretty deranged. We I mean I'm I'm hoping for more. Maybe maybe later we'll get something better. I don't know. I'm but, uh, and I will say that uh, told me more about the plot than I actually gleaned from watching this movie. But. <laughs> now this so Double Dragon. This is probably uh, in in what is 
I would say objectively four not very good movies. This is the worst out of the four. Uh, definitely ha- handily handily yeah. the worst out of the four and yet i still have fun with double dragon they, this oh, got yeah. a this got a blu-ray release not too long ago it was like a like a remaster and i think it was on that mvd rewind collection and i um i think i wrote a review for this actually and there that the so if you're into double dragon the movie the blu-ray has a ton of like behind the scenes stuff and interviews and all kinds of stuff so all, all, all four people that are big Double Dragon yeah. fans. I, I was just thinking, you know, when we talked about Super Mario Brothers, we were discussing how maybe it would have been more appreciated at the time or right after if it hadn't been part of, you know, the Mario franchise. But on the other hand, being part of this, you know, video game franchise does maintain the interest so that any other movie with Double Dragon's reception and profile would have just I guess sunken into just languished and, and just been completely forgotten and certainly would not have gotten a Blu-ray release. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably this one had a budget of 7.8 million and it grossed 2.3 million. So this one was a huge bomb, uh, a very minuscule budget in comparison to super Mario brothers. And, and that, that shows, uh, I would say that this is also an ambitious movie for the budget um, because there are some pretty, you know, big elaborate sets in this, but everything looks super cheap. Like everything looks like it's um, it, it's on the set of a Nickelodeon, like a 90s Nickelodeon game show, like Legends of the Hidden Temple or Guts or something like everything looks styrofoam and plastic. And I love how like they'll be they'll be like using something and like it's clearly just wobbling around like computers and stuff it'll, it'll just be like wobbling around that's kind of how it is in the the next movie we're going to talk about too actually like this the like the the sets and stuff are are elaborate but they're just they're not very well it, it, but the, it does turn out that an endearing aesthetic i appreciate is movies that look like game show sets <laughs> Yeah, I kind of like that too, actually. As it, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so if you if you weren't aware, Double Dragon is a very popular uh, beat 'em up arcade uh, style game. I don't know how many of them were released by the time this this movie came out. Probably three, I would guess. If I had to guess, I would say three Double Dragon movies probably came out by this point. Um, it stars Mark Dacascos as, as Jimmy Lee and Scott Wolf as Billy Lee. Uh, Mark Dacascos makes sense in this, um, because, you know, he was, he was on the come up at, at this point, like he, he started doing a lot more action stuff, um, as the decade went on. Scott Wolf, on the other hand, uh, eh, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure that his uh he was a good fit for this i don't think he was a good fit it appears that we've that these are both actors for whom we've previously discussed movies they were in mark dacascos was the star of only the strong oh yeah scott wolf and go oh yeah go i forgot i i forgot he was do not that. recall particularly liking either movie but <laughs> yeah it was not really their fault <laughs> No, I, I like Mark Dacascos. I, yeah. I I mean, Scott Wolf doesn't 
offend me in any way. I just I feel like he wasn't really. I think he was a little bit miscast in in this. This movie's just too goofy. Like it's just too. I think I think like like the Mario movie. It 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 it's not sure really who it wants who the audience is for this like who is this designed for is it like 13 year old boys because it is pg-13 so it is a little bit more adult than mario very small like very small amount um but there's just so many like kind of goofball things like they add in like zany like cartoon sound effects and stuff in this and like I don't know. There's like the the effects work is not very good. There's not a ton of it here. Like I I, I didn't mention the CG that was in Mario. There's some some 90s CG in it, but it's used in a very very like small way. Um, and so most of what you see in the Mario movie is is practical like animatronics and and makeup effects. And it, and the, I thought that. The, uh, like the creature design and all that stuff in the Mario movie was really good. Um, in this movie, however, it's not as, there's not as much in, in the way of effects work. Um, but what is here is, uh, very cheesy looking and not shot very well either. It is truly the the worst of the, the four. It, I'm, there's not really an angle where it's better than any of them at any particular thing. No, I mean, and the weird thing is, like, they try to. It seems like they're trying to convey some sort of like social messaging with this movie too. Like, it almost feels like they're trying to go the RoboCop route, where like the, you're dealing with this city, this uh, new what's it called, New, new Angeles or New something? Angeles post post earthquake yeah so it takes place in 2007 in new angeles this is not what 2007 looked like as it turned out <laughs> no. i always look i always do love when when movies try to per- set themselves only a few years in the future because they're just willingly saying this is we're just ready to make this look absolutely crazy <laughs> yeah apparently in in the just over like was it 13 years <laughs> Uh, uh, an earthquake destroyed Los Angeles and somehow turned it into like a dystopian sci-fi world. Like, I, 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 I don't know what you guys were thinking there. I, I believe th- uh, also a world in which um, uh, Jerry Brown is vice president. And the reason there's like some throwaway line, like on a newscast where they're like vice president, Jerry Brown did whatever. And it's, like, the, first of all, this is, like, the second movie we've talked about on this show that has some throwaway reference about Jerry Brown, after Jade, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and second, like, I think it's also a sideswipe at Jerry Brown, because I think it's implying that, like, it requires a post-apocalypse for Jerry Brown to become vice president. or yeah. Because, like, it would have been, like, you know... Like, that's also the joke in, in Jade. This is, like, after he's run for Senate and lost, run for president and lost, and then it's before his kind of comeback. Um, that, that man, they really hated Jerry Brown in, in Hollywood in the mid nineties. I don't know what was going on there. It's like right after they take, make some, you know, uh, take a, you know, side swipe at Madonna too. And that same thing, it's like a newscast segment. Like, but yeah, they, they were just, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what was going on with, with, with this. The yeah. There were 
like I said, I I feel like that they were trying to go like some kind of RoboCop route because they had like fake commercials in this and and then you had like the like the just the TV stuff was so random and like pointless like like were they just trying to be funny or were they trying to be satirical like what i think it's it seems like it's from somebody who watched robocop and thought that it was that the point was that they had those segments and not the content and context of them (laughs) that makes it satirical because they also try to talk about like the police so like Alyssa milano's in this and she's like the leader of this like kind of rebel group of kids that are like protecting the city i guess because the cops can or won't and then her dad is like the police chief or something and then like so there's this whole thing where like the cops are not they're like afraid to go out because the gangs took over and stuff so it's it's just it's it's weird and also of course they they talk a lot about the pollution the toxic water the smog there's actually one of the news segments features Andy Dick as the the weather the weather pers- person on the news show. Very. It's just it, yeah. it's not it's not funny. Um even like no kid would get any of the jokes, first of all. Like the dumb like the 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 pop culture jokes that were dated for nineteen ninety four. Like mm. it, it just uh it's none of it works all of it's really bad and even if they didn't even if they didn't have andy dick appear it would have been bad yeah exactly um it makes it worse obviously yes yeah uh the the fact that it it has this like very kind of loose double dragon theme um the double dragon thing adds really very little to to the story at the end of the day. I mean, what, what you're left with here is just a kind of a generic sci-fi action movie that again, I still had fun watching it. Um, but, but more like on a, so bad it's good type of level where it's, it's just, it's so over the top and, and this, the CG again, like the, where 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 um Robert Patrick uses the the or the the talisman and like turns himself flat <laughs> like he turns into like a CG version of him that's like flat and like it's it's so it's so bad. Listen, it is what it's important is that it's vitally important that anyone playing these you know ridiculous villain characters in these movies is clearly having a terrific oh, time oh, yeah. doing it. Uh, yeah. I mean, across the board, across yeah, the board, like the villains I, are no just hamming it up about these performances. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's kind of a I can't really believe this movie exists. Like, I, I think it's the one that people the least amount of people probably have seen on this list. And, and with good reason, I think that it's <laughs> one that uh, just doesn't really work on any level um but but it's uh it's still kind of fun man it's not there's nothing boring like that i think that's the point i keep coming back to it's like it's not boring and like none of these movies are boring some of them are like this one is not 
good. I, I don't know if I could go, go to the point of saying, yeah, you should watch it. But no. it's like, yeah. so many movies now, large scale movies are just boring. <laughs> but this, none of these are. No, no, they're, they're definitely not boring. Good. Maybe not boring. Definitely not. Uh, so that's double dragon. Again, that's uh there's a really nice Blu-ray for this out there. If you want to dive into that, see some cool, like, they 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 did get uh, Mark Dacascos and Scott Wolf to do new interviews and stuff, and they hmm. talk tell a lot of stories about uh, what it was like on set and everything. Talk about that sweet jet ski f- chase scene. All right, moving on. We're next talking about Street Fighter. This also came out in 1994. This was December 23rd, so this was a uh, you know much higher profile. Uh, compared to Double Dragon. I have a synopsis here. Colonel Guile and various other martial arts heroes fight against the tyranny of dictator M. Bison and his cohorts. This is written and directed by Stephen E. D'Souza. And uh, this this is one that... Uh, I liked this as a kid. Um, I I remember that people were hating on this one, like when it came out pretty from the moment that it came out really. Um, but I, I liked it as a kid um, revisiting it. Now I, I I'm kind of like feeling comparing all, all four of these movies. Um, I, I kind of feel like this one is a little bit lower on my list now. Um, like I, I used to like this way more than super Mario brothers, but I kind of feel like I, that's that's flipped a little bit um but i still again had fun with street fighter this is one that obviously it's it's based on street fighter 2 um the arcade game and it features all of the character i think all of the characters from street fighter 2 uh in i mean some of them are very much uh shoehorned in and serve very almost no purpose and are not at all like their characters in the game, but you know, they squeezed them all in there. Uh, A lot of weird decisions made with this movie as well. Of -hmm. course you have uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme starring as Guile, the, uh, the American Colonel, despite his, uh, French accent is <laughs> very thick accent. Mm. Um, <laughs> Raul Julia as M Bison again, yeah, hamming it, hamming it up like Robert Patrick did and double great, dragon great performance. No, without a, he's very good in this. And, and unfortunately, yeah. I believe it was his up the final, it was. final project. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, a lot of people yeah. like, a lot of people, when they talk about this movie, they're just like, ah, oh, it was Raul Julia's final movie. Final movie was Street Fighter. But he's good at it. Like, this is a good performance. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He he was very good in this as, as M. Bison. Good casting here. I think um, just the casting in general of this one, I think, is fine. Like, some of the choices in some of these movies as far as casting, I'm just like, eh, I don't know. But this one I think works for the most part. I, Van Damme. Like I get that 
it's goofy to have him as Guile, but it's also weird to have Guile as being the main character in this in this movie when I don't feel like he was like he wasn't really one of the more popular characters, but I guess being an American movie, you want to get the, the American soldier guys, the, the main character. But anyway, like as far as casting Van Damme as Guile, like I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with it because I don't, I don't like, I don't know who else you would get in that role at the time, you know, like Arnold, Arnold would be like too, too, big like he would be he would be just too too beefy um and i, I don't know who else you would get that, that that would have that kind of leading man um vibe to him where van damme can do he can do the action stuff you know very easily but he also has that that charisma to him where he can crack jokes and stuff you know Mm. And so I think at the end of the day, he was probably the best pick. Uh, Kylie Minogue is, was cast as Cammy, which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, like everybody else was fine. I think that this movie more than any of the other ones just really struggled. They just felt like they had to get all of the characters squeezed in, in whichever way that they could. To the point where, like, E Honda and uh, and um, Balrog were like a camera, like a cameraman and a uh, I yeah, don't know, it, technical guy for a news news company. If anything, that kind of gives it a problem that a lot of modern big, you know, IP adaptations have. It feels stunningly contemporary in that in that respect. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's bloated. They they cramped so much in. I remember when like one of the X Men movies came out. I think it was the third X Men movie where they just were you were just it was an onslaught of characters, and each character was like on screen for like five minutes, and you're just like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Slow down. I feel like that's kind of how this this movie is. There's just they 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 knew that they wanted to get all of the characters in and it's like they wrote the script ar- around that but they kept like kind of painting themselves into a corner where like ah oh, well what are we going to do with cammy all right well just just have her be like van damme's sidekick what about mm-hmm. t-hawk same thing let's just just make him a sidekick <laughs> So yeah, I don't I don't know. Um maybe it's that I just have seen this movie a bunch of times, but rewatching it for this, I was just a bit underwhelmed mm. with Street Fighter. I still think it's a, a fun movie. I think it I think it is bad and I don't particularly like the um the plot here, like the the story where it's like I can't remember the name of the fake country that it takes place in, like I can't remember, but yeah, I it's it's like the most that. basic plot ever where like M Bison is a dictator. He's trying to take over the country and uh, Guile teams up with a bunch of other street fighter people to take him down. Like, it's just really, it's basic, which isn't necessarily a problem, but 
what you also have here is just really basic action scenes that are not choreographed very well. Mm. So what you're left with is just kind of a super generic action movie with, you know, some kind of cheesy street fighter stuff thrown in. Yeah. uh, That's the, that's kind of the, there's a, there's a problem if the fighting in your movie called uh, street fighter is not very compelling. I feel like there's there is opportunity for a good Street Fighter movie. Like I think that they could easily make a good Street Fighter movie, but uh, they haven't. Like they've made, I think there's three, maybe three Street Fighter movies, live action ones, at this point or something, uh, and they're all bad. Like the other ones are even worse. the The newer ones are even worse than this than the original one. Um, they also released a Street Fighter two anime animated movie um, that was, it was Japanese and that was actually very good. And I feel like if they just adapted that into live action, it would have worked a lot better. Hmm. I feel like the, the, what they did here was just, I don't know, kind of not very clever. Yeah. I don't have any particularly, uh, strong feelings on this movie as you could probably guess <laughs> i didn't really i don't have really much to offer it just is it's just here so what did what did uh steven e D'Souza? what else did he direct did he direct anything that was yeah you did not really he's not really no. you don't really think of him as a director do you no this appears to be it's in- a, it was his only only yeah his only feature film that he directed of course he is known for right uh, being a writer he wrote uh 48 hours and die hard and commando so he's pretty prolific in the in the action genre but yeah this one this one i guess was his uh, first and last foray into theatrical studio credit it looks like he did some some tv but yeah, this is the only theatrical studio film it looks like that he directed. Yeah, um, I, I don't know, man. This one, I just feel like, even though I liked it as a kid, I I, I just don't feel like this one really holds up. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I don't really have much to say about it. Like, I, I, I kind of feel the same way. It's, just, it's, right. it's there. There's good things about it, but... Yeah, it's not not boring, but it's like no, uh, it's not as compelling. And, and the things about you know the memorable movies here today is that they're always compelling. <laughs> yeah, they're always, they're always something. I mean, speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which, let's move yeah. on to our final film. We're talking about Mortal Kombat. Of course, we're talking about Mortal Kombat. We wouldn't be. It, it yeah. would be blasphemous if we didn't talk about Mortal Kombat on this episode. Uh, this came out in 1995, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, uh, I think I do want to talk about his work uh, at some point during this conversation. I have a synopsis here. Three unknowing martial artists okay, are summoned to a mysterious island to compete in a tournament whose outcome will decide the fate of the world. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously, this is based on the infamous arcade game uh, later released on consoles this move uh, the, the game you know sparked 
huge amounts of controversy the the there were hearings about this movie this is one of the, or the game this is one of the games that that uh was instrumental in the creation of the ESRB which is like the writing system for video games uh, because of the over the top gore and violence that was in the games on you know it was kind of on a level that hasn't been seen before previously i think 90s 2000s culture wars about these sorts of things probably deserve it uh, just uh, just more scholarly research into the exact thing that was you know yeah it was uh on it was like Mortal Kombat and Night Trap, which was like a really weird uh, choice to, to do Night Trap because Night Trap wasn't even that violent. I guess because it was live action, they wanted to go after that one. But I, I think wasn't I think Joe Lieberman was uh, one of the like instrumental people with that. I think he, he was one of the people that was like heading up that whole moral panic. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, I think so. Yeah. At any rate, uh, I loved Mortal Kombat as a kid, so when this movie came out, I was just, man, I was obsessed. I, opening weekend, immediately went to see see this movie. It came out on, uh, let's see, when did it come out? August 18th, yeah, so the summer of 95, and boy, did I love this movie. I, I think that I had the wherewithal to kind of see it for what it was back then. But I still just as a huge fan of the games, I was just beyond excited for it. One of the, I mean, the first thing uh, that I guess we could note here is that, you know, the games were super violent, you know, they had the fatalities and, and uh, all the blood and stuff like that. The movie, not so much. This was a PG-13 movie, so I guess they were, you know, concerned about their their target audience, which was like 10 to 14-year-old boys. I guess they were concerned about them being able to see this movie, so they kind of neutered it a little bit. Hmm. Which, you know... Uh, yeah, from, understanding from, the, the, tar- the intended target audience, it was probably... Yeah, it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a bummer. Um, what you do have here is uh, pretty much all of the Mortal Kombat characters that were in the series up until when this came out. Um, there was the classic tournament. Ed Boon, the creator of Mortal Kombat, was is listed as a, a co-writer on this. So the the story here follows the games pretty closely. And as such, I think that the the story, uh, as it were, with, with Mortal Kombat is the best out of the four that we're discussing today. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, it's simple, but it works. Like, you know, it's very much like a kind of blood sport type of thing, or I guess Enter the Dragon, where you have a tournament that uh, the top fighters across uh, the world have to go and, and fight. And it's more than just a regular tournament though. It's, it's all of the different realms. Uh, I guess this is like a kind of a multiverse situation. All the different realms are, are fighting. And, and if one realm wins, 
10 years in a row, I think it is, or 10 tournaments in a row, then like they can merge with another realm or something. I can't mm. remember. It's, it's something like that. Um, it's, it's, the, the details don't really matter. This is a, this is a no thoughts, just vibes kind of movie. Yeah, yeah, I think so. At the end of the day, really what you, all you want to see is your favorite Mortal Kombat characters fighting each other. That's, that's pretty much what you want to see. I mean, aside from the fatalities, which unfortunately you do, you do not see in this. I mean, people do get killed and of course, uh, they have to say all of the lines from the game. So you do hear the fatality like that type of thing in here, but they're not, uh, nearly as violent or brutal. You know, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I've seen it fairly recently. Also, I think I rewatched this one when, um, the 2021 world combat came out. So I didn't think that. How was that? Uh, n- not good. It was, it was, <laughs> it was violent. I mean, they, they definitely made it violent, but, uh, unfortunately it was just, uh, it was just average. It was, it was actually like kind of dull, like, <laughs> like su- surprisingly you know- dull. This movie, this movie, however, is not dull. Oh and, no! Uh, so immediately, it, it would seem to win on that front. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, whereas Super Mario Brothers and Double Dragon, they had a little bit of '90s CG. This movie goes overboard with the '90s CG. Uh, it is chock full of '90s CG. Maybe some of the worst that you will ever see. Maybe maybe some of the decade's worst CG. Yeah, but would you want it to be good? No, of course <laughs> not. No, it's perfect. Like the like yeah. uh the uh the reptile the reptile uh animation in this is on a whole other level of bad. Like I feel like maybe I could I could animate a better looking reptile creature than than what you see in this movie. It's it's so atrocious um and it's 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 hilarious it's just hilarious um really elaborate set work on on this one too uh, a lot of it looks like a nickelodeon show again especially the um like the in, in like in the cast or whatever that wherever the hell they were like that inside the castle or dungeon or whatever like uh, the, it looked like there was a lot of styrofoam in there but then when you, when like that, the scene when Johnny Cage was fighting, um, Scorpion in, uh, I don't know, whatever the nether, nether realm or hell or wherever the hell they were like that looked really cool where, you know, where there were all the, the bridges and stuff and platforms, bamboo everywhere. Like, so a lot of the sets were really cool. Um, the fight scenes were, it's- were pretty decent in this as well. Uh, and I think that uh, the the reason is because you, they actually cast uh, some some people who specialized in martial arts. So, whereas you know in the other movies, like uh, specifically Double Dragon, and maybe to a lesser extent Street Fighter, you you had like you know one like Van Dam. You know Van Dam is obviously good at at doing choreographed fight scenes, but most of the other people were not very good. Uh, here you have a couple people who are not good and a lot of people who are, 
Um, so you have like Robin Shoes, Liu Kang, even uh, Lyndon Ashby as Johnny Cage. Like even he was pretty decent in his uh, the fight scenes that he was involved in. So I think I think that you know Paul W S Anderson did was smart in making it like an action first type of movie where rather than casting actors to do action, you cast, you know, stunt people or, or, or actors who focus on action to do, you know, to do the acting roles. And I think that that kind of worked in its favor. The script didn't work in its favor, but <laughs> mm. I don't know. What did you? So I take it. I take it you you were you were into Mortal Kombat. It seemed like. Yeah. No. This is. Uh. I. I enjoy. I. I enjoyed this film. You know. I said no thoughts, just vibes, and the vibes are great. I. I feel like we should point out. We've talked about. You know. You've mentioned many of the things about this movie, but I think one of the most important ones is one of the very first things you hear. The first thing you hear. As soon as the movie starts, which is the soundtrack. Of course, the iconic yeah. Mortal Kombat song that, that plays, I think, twice in this, which is it, not. We could, yeah. But it's like, but it's two different parts of the same song, so it feels fresh. It's not overused or anything. Perfect. I think it that, comes that, in that at a perfect time. Comes in. Officially a classic now, I think. Yeah. Setting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, th- this uh, the Mortal Kombat soundtrack is one of those classic '90s soundtracks. It, it also um, I, I, the end of this movie ends with uh, that Orbital song. Can't remember the name of the song, but it's from from Orbital, and it's the same song that was in Hackers. So that that song had a lot of good use in the '90s. Uh, but yeah, great great soundtrack. Get you get you pumped. Uh, felt like you were at a rave the whole time. Also, th- there is a scene when when we're introduced to Sonya Blade, and they're they're at a club scene, and it's you know one of one of those industrial, you know, dark, crazy club '90s uh, club scenes, like chains hanging everywhere and stuff. She's literally shooting people with a shotgun in in this club. And people aren't like doing anything. They're just still dancing. They're vibing so hard that even a person blasting people with a shotgun right beside them is not, it's not, uh, you know, ruining their vibes. Well, if all the music in this world is as good as the soundtrack is, I mean. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Paul W. S. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> one one thing before we get into this guy, um, one thing that I rem- always remember about this this movie is, like I said, when I was a kid, uh, loved this movie, was obsessed with it when it came out. Um, I went with my cousin to see it, and he bought this like magazine that was like, like it was like a behind the scenes of Mortal Kombat. You know, like they 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 release like. magazines that are like kind of one-off like special things. And I'll never forget that when they were talking about Goro, the character of Goro, who, uh, as you may know, is like the four armed creature, uh, in, in it, they were like, how did you make, 
Goro and they were, and I think it was an interview with Paul W S Anderson. I can't remember. Cause I was like, you know, literally like a child, but they, they answered and said like, ah, that's just a secret. We can't really talk about about what we do with Goro. And, and they were like trying to allude that it was like actually a, a forearmed person or something. And it was just, I'll never forget that because even as a kid, I'm like, why would they, why would they BS us like that? <laughs> Since then there have been like on the, on the Blu-rays and stuff, there's uh, a lot of behind the scenes um, footage of them designing and testing the Goro animatronic, which is very, which was very good by the way. Uh, I think they did a, really good job with the Goro, the, the specifically the facial details, like the, they could do so many different expressions with that, with that puppet looked really good. Anyway, uh, this was the, was this the, it wasn't his debut. Wasn't Paul W S Anderson's debut, but it was like maybe his second feature or something. It was his first, uh, looks like, looks to be his first major studio. Yeah, because he did shopping, which I never saw um, I know, I b- before it. this. Um, although I do want to see shopping because um, it it looks it looks interesting. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, cool people in it. And it de- yeah, and, and definitely, a, and definitely a director where it would be interesting to see how, how early some of the and that's the thing. Like elements of his career have been, you know, in his style. You're like, how? How did it? Like, how did he get Mortal Kombat? Like, how? From shopping to Mortal Kombat, and then from there, you're just. I mean, it's just a landslide. It's just going straight downhill. Like, we talked about Event Horizon on this show before, and may, maybe we even talked about Paul W. S. Anderson. When we, I think we had a pretty long discussion about. Maybe a little bit about him, but definitely a lot about just like the look of Event Horizon. Yeah, and I still, I still like Event. I, I love Event Horizon actually. I think, I think that's Paul W. S. Anderson's best movie. Not to say that I like. I don't think it's objectively a, a great movie or anything like that. But I still revisit that movie quite a bit. I like, I like sci-fi horror, um, and I think that this does. I, I feel like that there's so few like really good. Um, atmospheric sci-fi horror movies. And I think event horizon does a really great job with that. Um, with that being said, like everything else, man, just like straight downhill, like soldier was super. I liked soldier as a kid, but that's because I was like obsessed with Kurt Russell when I was a kid. Um, I, I think if I, and maybe soldier is one that we can add to our, our list because I would like to revisit that. But um, like the resident evil movies, like that's, kind of the big thing that he got that he got going was the resident evil mm-hmm. movies. He did the first alien versus predator, which was, you know, horrible. The sad thing is I've seen most of his movies. I, I was about to say, I know there is like a, a certain critical subset that does actually like the, uh, <laughs> the, the resident evil movies. There's, there, there is, there is discussion about them. Whenever yeah. It's, it's interesting. The resident evil movies are sort of like the fast and furious movies to me yeah. where, um, like I, I saw the first resident evil movie when I was younger. I saw it in the theater, hated it. 
because I was a huge fan of the the video game series. And um, I thought that they did an absolutely horrible job adapting it. And that that really bothered me. So I, I hated the movie. But then like several years ago, and I, I've seen a couple of the other sequels here and there, but several years ago, I, I marathoned the whole series and I had a blast <laughs> with it. So I don't, I don't recognize the movies as being good. Um, but, but again, like I was able to, when I, when I did the like kind of marathon, I was able to separate the game series from the movie series and sort of just enjoy the movie series for what it was like as a standalone thing. And I, I got a lot more out of it. And I will say that um, the, the Paul W.S. Anderson Resident Evil movies are way better than that Raccoon City one that they released. Uh, like, what was that? Like 2020 or 2021 or whatever. And also the Netflix show, which was atrocious. Mm. So, you know, it, like he might not be the best director, but <laughs> it, it, there's, it could always be worse. Mm-hmm. And of course he did the monster hunter movie, which was also a video game adaptation, which was, uh, oh, that, that was horrible too. So yeah, he's like, he's like, you know, a couple steps up from Uwe Boll, uh, large steps, a couple large steps up from Uwe Boll. Yeah. I, his, I don't really have much no, my knowledge of his filmography outside of event horizon but i was like this is very this this person has a very interesting way to make movies that's all that's most of what i had to offer yeah um so mortal kombat did have a sequel mortal kombat annihilation uh it was tremendously worse than the first one um absolutely horrible Uh, i remember seeing that one in the theater with two of my friends and I remember having to use the restroom during it and just not even like really caring at what point I get up to use the, you know, cause sometimes you, you wait, you know, you got to go to the bathroom when you're in the movie, you wait until you think that there's going to be a little bit of a downtime. Like when, th- okay, this feels like it's a good time. It's like a, just a, uh, you know, a little conversation. doesn't seem like there's much going on. I'm going to run out, use the restroom, come back in. I won't have missed too much, but I remember thinking to myself, there's no point. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to go right now. It's like in the middle of a fight scene. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. That one looked, it looked so bad. The CG was worse than the first one. All of the like costumes and sets looked so cheap. They looked like something that was purchased from spirit Halloween, like just awful, awful movie. Uh, and then there were a bunch of animated ones, the uh, and those were actually quite good. Uh, I only saw, I think, one of them. Uh, and I'm not talking about there. There was like a '90s animated one, I think, or or maybe it was even a series. Uh, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like the newer ones that came out just a couple of years ago, around the time of the uh, the new live action one. Those those were actually pretty good. They were, I I would say that they're kind of on par with the uh, DC animated movies uh, as far as like quality. So those, those are actually worth watching. And then, like I mentioned the, the the 2021 version, which I think did a good job of, of staying 
true and and sort of paying homage to the series it did a good job in that regard but um the i think it was just lackluster as far as like the fight scenes and the and everything everything in between the fight scenes i remember being just really boring Hmm. so i don't know apparently they're working on a new like a sequel to the uh the, the 2021 one which i think is good because I think one of the complaints I had about the 2021 one was that it didn't feel complete. Like it's mortal Kombat, but they never even get to the tournament in it. So it, it definitely feels like it's the start of something and it, there should be more, uh, at least you get to see the whole tournament in this one. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Um, other than that, you know, I, I don't have too many complaints about it. Uh, the dialogue is super cheesy. They they shoehorn in um, all the stuff from the uh, the games. Like I said at the the beginning of the review, they have all the characters. The casting is okay. I'm not sure how I feel about Christopher Lambert being Raiden, especially He's making be- a lot of choices here. Especially because at the beginning of the movie, he talks in this like gruff like. Mm, I see you're going to the tournament. And then later on in the movie, he's just like, he's talking regular, like just regular old Christopher Lambert. It's such a joy. (laughs) So I'm not sure what that was all about. He just dropped the weird gruff tone. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. For the, the, you know, for the, for the most part, I thought the rest of the, the casting was, was fine. I didn't have any major complaints about the casting. Like I would probably cast it differently now. I it, like, I don't know. Like, but I mean, it's hard not to appreciate it as it is, I think in, in, in its, in its way. <laughs> yeah. Um, Carrie, uh, Carrie here, Yuki Takagawa was the, was Shang Tsung. And you know, he's the, he's the big bad guy of this one. And, of course, like the other three movies, he totally hams it up in the best ways. Uh, he's the one who gets to say all the lines from the game, like, finish him. That's an important part, and it's, it's an important part to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, you know, of course you have this, this Scorpion and Sub-Zero in this. Uh, you don't get to see the two of them fight each other in this one. They're like being mind controlled by Shang Tsung. So they're they're uh, They end up fighting the, the good guys. Mm-hmm. I always liked Scorpion and sub zeros were kind of my favorites. They also made a weird decision with the harpoon that comes out of Scorpion's hand to make it like a living creature, which was kind of weird, but that scene the fight scene in the, the bamboo forest was really cool. And I think that that's still a pretty cool fight scene. I think, th- I think the biggest thing, American martial arts movies that were coming out during this time, probably before too, honestly, um, were, were not very good. Like they just couldn't, I, I feel like they're, they couldn't really handle the choreography. And, and I just feel like, they didn't know how to shoot these movies, you know, like, cause at this point, you know, Jackie Chan's been making movies for decades by this point. 
And his movies were leaps and bounds above what they could do in this movie and a lot of other martial arts action movies of the time. Hmm. It's just when you see these U.S. fighting movies, not specifically action, not like shootouts and car chases and explosions, but I'm talking like specifically martial arts action. Um, They just compared to what we see today, you know, like the John wicks. um, Mm. It just doesn't, it's just, it feels very dated. Everything looks, everything feels slow and doesn't look very good. And I don't know. Yeah. I'd say in in the, in the summary of summing up my thoughts on, this particular movie, though, I would say just the feel of it, just the the aesthetic experience of it. Uh, very good. Oh, 100 percent agree. Yeah, <laughs> that's that, that's all I could. That's all I could say. That, that that's that's what it boils down to for me. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I realized that I might have said a lot of negative things about this movie, all of which I believe are warranted, but. All of that being said, I still think that this is an absolute blast to watch. Um, I don't know how much of it is nostalgia. Like, I feel like a lot of it is probably nostalgia for me. But um, I don't really have a nostalgic connection to the movie, and I still liked a lot of well, it. There you go. There you go. So it it holds up. It holds up. Mortal Kombat ninety five. I mean, one thing for sure, and and I would I would hazard a guess to say that most people would would have this sentiment and that's this one is far more memorable than the 2021 one and will always be more memorable than the 2021 one this one has so much more character and personality compared to the new one like the new one's just forgettable but this one has moments that you'll just you'll just remember them so Mm -hmm. i think it has that going for it as well so yeah um just check out revisit mortal Kombat if you haven't uh done so in a while i would i would say that most people listening have probably seen this but mm-hmm. yeah if you haven't well worth a look where where do you think so looking at the four movies that we that we covered what do you think what do you think your favorite one maybe not what you think is like the best or anything but just your your personal favorite you sit in I, Mortal Kombat? I'm Super Mario Brothers. I'm I'm torn between Super Mario Brothers and Mortal Kombat. If you had asked me this before um rewatching all of these, I definitely would have said Mortal Kombat, but I don't I, I'm starting to lean towards Mario now. I, mm. I really am. I really am. I just I think it was a more ambitious movie and and did a did a lot more. It was, it took a lot bigger risks. That's for sure too. And it, and it tried, it tried things that it didn't play it safe. Did not play it safe, which is rare, rare mm. thing nowadays. Um, was yeah. there anything else you wanted to add before we close it off this month? Uh, no, I, I think that is a, uh, that is a good summary. Uh, kind of the points that really well sums up the, the points that we've been making all through uh, this episode, which is um, these movies aren't really that good, and some of them are quite bad, but 
they are just you're right that they they don't they're not they're not safe in a way that a lot of movies today if they were tasked with adapting these big properties uh would go or the certain way that all these movies kind of feel now uh so i just i think it's a very interesting and telling and and informative look at where kind of blockbuster filmmaking was in this very again i think that it is it is also very telling that just the very small window of time that they were all released in in the mid 90s yeah and i think there were probably more than that too that were released around this time there were there were certainly other video game adaptations that were coming out around the same time i think either way um oh yeah like uh oh no that was like late 90s i was thinking of um wing commander I, which came out in uh, i think that was like 99 or something 99 i think the list that i was looking at earlier seemed to suggest that in terms of major studio live action movies there really weren't that many besides these four at this particular time mm. um all right. Well, uh, I, yeah, I think uh, the other thing real quick is that obviously being the age that they are, these are all shot on film. And I think that when you see like monster hunter, like comparing that to any, any one of these four movies, even like double dragon looking as cheap and crappy as it was just the mere fact that it was shot on film instantly makes it look better than something that that is like way more modern and glossy like monster hunter whereas mm. if they were if they shot monster hunter on film i think that 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 movie would have been i don't know if it would have been regarded more highly or anything but it certainly would have looked better mm. yeah it does make me wonder to what degree am i just saying i like that these movies were shot on film as well i mean that's dude that's a huge thing but like yeah, any that is a huge you're right. Anytime, yeah. like, anytime I watch, like, as I'm watching these 90s movies that we've covered, like, over 100 of these movies on the show, like, I I often think about, like, because my first, my initial thought will be, like, oh, man, like, the 90s just had some really interesting, really great movies. And then I'm, th- and then I think to myself, is, is it getting significant bonus points from me, like, s- like subconsciously because it's shot on film and I just think it looks better. Like it just looks higher quality. And I think that that might be part of it. Yeah. I think it does factor in. I think that maybe that that is also what we're talking about when we talk about the way that mm, big studio movies look now. I remember when, um, it was, uh, it was the, the Michael Mann film that came out. Um, I think it was the Michael Mann, the one that was a, with Johnny Depp uh, about John Dillinger. Was that Michael Mann? I think so. I think that was like Public Enemies. Yeah, Public Enemies. I remember that came out, and I saw it in the theater, and that was shot on digital. And I remember thinking to myself, "This is it. Like, the all movies are going to look like this moving forward." And I hate it. Like, I I, I was like genuinely scared. Because, you know, like, like movies were my whole life back then. And I was like, I, cause you know, there were a whole bunch of move like the, 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 the trend had already started of movies being shot on digital. 
but this one in particular was it because it was shot on digital and it was screened in digital like on a digital projector at the theater I just remember like thinking like, man, this is the beginning of the end. I'm going to hate every movie that comes out like, just because of, because it looks so bad. And to this day, I think the public enemies looks horrible. Um, but oh, oh, I, I only uh, laugh because I, that I just remembered, you know, Michael Mann, this movie before that I haven't seen public enemies, but I've seen uh, Miami vice and that's shot on digital in a very, with a very particular, like it's whole aesthetic is about it being shot on digital. And I actually really like how that movie looks. <laughs> that one, if I remember correctly is different. Um, because of like the different, like color grading that they use. With yeah. It. There's a very particular look to that movie. I don't, it's, well, one, it's been a while since I've seen it. And two, even if I had just seen it this afternoon, I don't know if I could quite describe exactly what that how, how it looked. Either way, I just saw digital just being the beginning of the end. And now, of course, everything is shot on digital for the most part. And I hate it all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I... Like there's so many times, like I'll see a movie and I'll be like, man, I wish that was shot on film. It probably would have looked amazing if it was shot on film. Mm. All right. I think that's going to do it for this month. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your nineties memories to nineties at filmpulse.net or by DMing us on Facebook or Twitter at nineties pod. Also, if you get a moment, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That'd be great till next month for Ken Bakley. My name is Adam Patterson. This has been saved by the nineties. Bye everyone. Bye.